another episode of true stories based on fiction the podcast network so this is evan the third host and i am coming at you with a special kind of a pilot episode to be something that if this goes well meaning like if i if i enjoy doing it something that i'm going to try to do um every time i do this every every time i do a certain act um the year 2022 uh, we're definitely trying to get back into the process of getting you guys more episodes on a more consistent basis. I know that December was a little uh, strange in that regard. We were able to get two out, I believe. Um, and I do want to be able to get more out for you. I know that you guys enjoy this entertainment and want it. And I want you guys to be able to get it. So uh, with that being said, um, it's my effort to try to make the podcast at least three times a month preferably four or more than that if possible. So in order for me to do that, in order for me to get that content out for you, I'm going to try to do some episodes solo um, in in addition to the episodes that we do with the other various hosts on the podcast network. So and I did it, I had copying off other shows and getting back to the format of the podcast network when it first started when it was only just a simple podcast show, comic book. So Every month or so, I spend a uh, hundred, at least a hundred bucks at my local comic book shop, and I read those books, of course. And I don't really talk about it much. And, and the podcast network has kind of—I don't, I don't want to say evolved. It has has had different motivations and different types of shows that don't really center around the primary thing that this podcast was supposed to talk about: comic books. And I'm going to reach out to Brian to see if he wants to do the same thing because he buys comic books every week. Um, so essentially, in no particular order here, I'm going to grab the comic books that I just finished reading for the month of December 2021. And I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of them and a drunk Iron Man score for each of the said books. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to call this this show. Uh, maybe I'll go back and call it Evanification or something like that, and make it a uh, the comic book review show. We'll see, but I'm not gonna talk about the comic books too in depth. If there's any series that I bought, meaning like uh, different issues, I'm gonna count that all as one. Just make it easier and shorter. Cause I don't want to keep you guys here too long. I'm hoping to do thirty to forty five minutes, if that. And I'm gonna come back this recording at least and do a second show talking about the trade paperbacks or graphic novels that I've read in the last couple of weeks as well, because recently I've been blessed to have a, a decent amount of free time in which I could actually get some get caught up on some reading, because I had um, what the people on the uh, 11 o'clock comics podcast call a Regina pile, that's basically your pile of comics that you, um, that basically your, uh, hold on, let me see if this is recorded correctly. Just a second. 
Okay. Um. I'll check this out. Okay, I'm back. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, so I'm not gonna go too in depthly in the storylines of the books. I'm gonna try to give you the chief creating teams on these books. But honestly, knowing me, I may not get into all that. But I'm gonna give you a synopsis, give you my drunk Iron Man score on it, and I will be doing a second edition of this this month because I've been blessed to have more time to read recently. Of all of the trade paperbacks, I've been calling Castle of Bone on my Regina pile. Thanks for Eleven O'clock Comics for um. Inventing that term and this long history at this point. Excuse me, had drink some water. And I might sound like a little bit out of breath here. That's because I just ran up up and down a flight of stairs several times. Whew, it's not something that's easy for me to do because I'm lazy. And I've also had a pretty significant workout today, too. But in any event, get right to it. So um, the first book that I'm going to review here is the current Black Panther series that started in November of this year. Um, I go to the comic book store once every month or so. So I typically, in some cases, as you'll see later on, I will have several books in the series stacked up um, that I will have to catch up on because I took so much time away. And the guy who runs my comic book store, which is Galaxy Comics in Saginaw, Michigan, he's pretty cool about it. Uh, he knows that I always pick up my books eventually, so like he doesn't mind. In any event, Black Panther number one and two by uh, John Ridley, who is a screenwriter and novelist. I think he wrote 12 Years a Slave uh, and Yuan Cabal and Fredikio Blee's Blee. Maybe I definitely can't pronounce. But in any event, I like this book a lot. Um, I wish that the art was a little bit better. Um, Sometimes it gave me Greg Land vibes. Not in a good way. Like he's using uh, people, like real life people, like screens captured from movies and things like that to do his drawing on. Um, But I do like his redesign. Of the Black Panther costume and how it attaches to his body. So that was very um, cool. And this is a good return to form after, in my opinion, the lackluster, nonsensical uh, second part of the uh, Tanahashi Coates Black Panther saga when he was in space for no reason. They never explained how he got there and where it happened in continuity. That was, that was, that was a very confusing series. The first part of his series was actually decent, but he tried to be um, heady. And he tried to be very political, which is fine. I don't mind politics and comics. But, uh, like, for example, um, Reginald Hudlin was able to do a pretty good, decent run on Black Panther, especially around Civil War, because he was able to merge the political entry and the espionage factor of Black Panther into action, which a lot of people haven't really been able to do in my opinion, since then. But this, uh, the first two issues of this John Ridley uh, story are actually pretty damn good. I wish it would have gave him a, a little bit, well, not a better artist. An uh, artist is more so to my liking and my own personal choices, you know. Um, but he brought it back to being political, having the child to be kind of an asshole, but also having an action. Because like Kevin Feige said, 
Black Panther could be or should be. Well, he he works as being like the James Bond type character. So I like that he's getting back to that. So these stories essentially, um, in the in the Tanahashi Coast era, he turned Wakanda from a dictatorship, I guess, like a sovereignty rather, to a more of a merge. I guess the best way to put it would be like works in England. To where there's a royal family who has power, but they also have people who run the country. So they have a, there's a term for it that I can't think of right now, but to where T'Challa is still king of Wakanda. He still has power, but there's also a governing board with presidents and governors and all that type of stuff that helps them out. And they have their own, the ruling party. We solve the issue, like, uh, as dictated in the Christopher Priest run, that a part a Black Panther wants to be a superhero because he is a superhero, obviously. So he, he's always had the, uh, the balancing act of being a uh, head of state and a superhero. So him stepping down as the ultimate ruler of Wakanda gives him more time to spread his energy across other things that he has interest in, like being a superhero. So the story starts off with that. And then uh, it gets into the entry. And like something good, something really interesting and humorous happened in the first issue. And the first part of it, he promises Captain America that, look, I'm an Avenger. I'm going to be here for the Avenger, doing what I can for them uh, as I balance everything in my life. Then something happens, which is Takala is on some crazy, not crazy, he's on some very, he's like Batman in a way that he's prepared for everything. So he has sleeper agents all across the world who are there in case anyone becomes an enemy of, of Wakanda. And the only he knows about any people who are part of this program. So what happens is, someone finds out about these sleeper agents and they start to, to systematically murder them. So T'Challa so has to do his thing and figure out who's doing this. And then he has to actually reveal this is happening. So like, think about Marvel Illuminati. Think about that type of shit. So this shows that he's always he's on that same type of fuck shit. Which I like a lot. Um, so when his sleeper agents are being systematically taken out and assassinated, he has to focus on that because that's of all the things he has going on in his life at the present time. This is the most important thing, especially because one of the sleeper agents was one of his best friends growing up, and um, it's just a really good story so far. And one of the people that was his best friend, well, one of his friends growing up, and then he was having a uh, a liaison with another woman who was a sleeper agent that he wasn't supposed to because everyone who's a sleeper agent is assumed dead in Wakanda. So that's why that's how they can do everything they have to do without being detected or having to worry about having other things going on. So um, two of the agents are having a little liaison at a cafe and they get attacked. So then, like the male dies and the female, she goes and she sells T'Challa. So now T'Challa and this woman are on a hunt for trying to figure out who's doing this. So then, at the end of the first issue, he has to tell Captain America, like, look, look, fam. I know I just told you I can be an Avenger. I want to be there full time. But, shit then popped off. And I got to refocus my attention on some other poor shit, man. So, sorry, not sorry. And then Captain America, like, bro, I'm not mad. I get it. But I wish you wouldn't have done this shit to me 24 hours ago. You told me you're trying to be an individual full time. Like, I gotta go, Cap. So, um, 
because this book has put Black Panther back, back on like some Jack Kirby shit, it's doing the best of all worlds in two issues so far. It has the uh, it's comedy, it's uh, political intrigue, it's espionage, him being James Bond, all that good shit. So, um, I would give it Black Panther issues one and two with the beautiful covers by Alex Ross. Eight out of ten Drunk Iron Man's. All right, next on the list. I'm just going through my stack. I have no idea what order. I did put these guys in order in regards to if there's multiple issues, but I don't know how what order they're in, so I'm just going down the list. Excuse me. Next is Robin number seven. So this follows up. Oh, and this is by Joshua Williamson. Uh, the artist is good, but I cannot pronounce his name. I'll try to pronounce his last name at least. Um, Melnikov. And the inker, I believe, last name is Dunbar. Um, so essentially, this is continuing what apparently is going to be a 12-issue arc. It's just not stopping at 6. A, a fighting tournament uh, that connects uh, Tekken, the fucking the Lazarus Pit, with Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul. That, that's what I call him. So um, the most badass fighters who were kids or teenagers in the DC Universe are all on an island. To where they're going to have a fighting tournament. I forget what the prizes are. Um, but the cool thing that they introduce is. There's no real risk to it. Because if anybody dies. They can be resurrected, resurrected via uh, the Lazarus Pit. So that, that added like a cool, pretty cool element to it. Because now you know that somebody dies. They aren't going to assault our intelligence. Like this motherfucker isn't coming back. He's coming back. With the Ada of threat of Lazarus Pit, this arc also brought back uh, Connor Hawk, Hawk the Green Arrow, who is Oliver's son, Oliver Queen's son from the nineties. So he's back. He's a teenager, and he and they're all fighting. But in issue seven sp- specifically, um, Robin Damian Wayne is on a hunt to figure out who is behind his tournament and find out things about his family because he finds his grandmother. So Rachel Gould's mom is still alive because. They're kind of stretching that whole thing out. But anyway, it's a good storyline. I'm glad that it's not a super kiddie book because it's Robin. Um, it reminds me of the 90s Robin book that I liked a lot with Tim Drake as a star. Um, I like the characters. I like the action scenes in it. Um, the one thing I don't like about it is the fact that they're doing too much with Rache. With Roz. Rache. Rache. I say right, yeah. Um, him having a, a mother who also has the same type of power to where she's old as shit is just crazy to me. Like they're, they're doing too much. I like it with this race and Talia. That's all the Algoos I ever need to see. Besides Damien being like a half alcohol. So uh, that takes away a significant amount of points for me. So because of that, I give it um, seven out of ten. Drunk Iron. All right, let's see. Okay, keeping with the Batman thing, we have Batman numbers 116 and 117 by uh, James Tenney in the fourth, Jorge Jimenez, and Tomar Mori. Uh, hopefully, I got those right. So, this is part, these are parts five and six of the really good um, Fear State storyline. So, essentially, um, the storyline is about the Scarecrow being super powered up. He, he's able to put the fear toxin. In the atmosphere, I believe that's what's going on. 
And there's this corporation who's, I think the corporation is giving them the people and got them shit to fear via the media. And then there's these cops who are trying to arrest the bad family. There's a lot of things going on, but it's able to be condensed pretty well by the writer, James Tenney IV. This is his, his closing arc on, on the Batman run that he's had between the Batman title and Detective Comics. He's probably been on the Batman titles for, I mean, uh, since a little bit on the, on, on the New 52. Like he's done like a pretty good job on, on what I've read so far. And Jorge Jimenez deserves a, a special shout out because he's the art has a, a fever dream psychedelic tint to it. Uh the scarecrow and this is because of the letter, the scarecrow's word balloons are scratchy and like there's a main spot, then like there's a, a faded pot behind it. So it's just kinda it's it's a very trippy book. And what's cool about his artwork as well is a lot of artists can't manage this, but he's able to um, have different styles on the same page, but it works in, in this very kinetic, energetic style. It's like Batman would be like in a Jim Lee style, then like uh, someone else would be in like a, a John Romita Jr. looking style, then like Harley Quinn in straight anime. It's, 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 it's weird. But but in this particular book it works. Um, the comp the plot is a little too complex for me to articulate on this podcast. But it's really good. And then when I read it, it makes sense. But it's hard for me to delineate it to you guys in the audience. But it's something you can definitely check out. It introduces a lot of new characters that I've never seen before. The Bat Family is not the Bat Family that you're used to seeing. You, you typically collect there's people in this book I've never seen before. Um, his allies are different from what we've ever seen before. And then it ties in a lot of characters, a lot of things like uh, Poison Ivy's in it, um, Harley Quinn, everyone. Um, it's definitely a tour de force and, and a great end to his run. And I give in. I do like that now Batman is about rehabilitation and hope before it decides to be so grim. He's still grim. But he tries to help people more than he did his hit two thousand. I like both versions of Batman, but they they're making it work. So, excuse me. So Batman one sixteen and one seventeen, I give eight out of ten for Iron Man. So I know people listen to the show on our shows on our network. Know that I'm typically a harsh critic, and I am, but uh. Keep in mind that most of these books are on my pull list at the comic book store, meaning these are books that I like already. So that's why the score is going to be higher to say like a movie that I watched that I don't have any control over. So um, I did like a lot of the books that I read um, this month. Um, next up, we have Robin and Batman, which I thought was a DC Comics Black Label book, which is their more mature superhero baseline. And the size is different. Most of the time, then your average comic book, your average comic book, and I like that a lot. But this book is just a perceived format of miniseries, and it's about an, another retelling of the Batman and Robin story, particularly the Robin story. And it's by one of the best writers in comics ever, Jeff Lemire, and one of my favorite Batman artists of all time, Dustin Nagayan. I had a brain fart because I know how to pronounce his last name. 
But doing a podcast, I just figured out how to do it. Because I'm putting myself on the spot. So I won't try again. Yeah, but it's a good team. I like that this book is 48 pages, no ads. It tells a, a different perspective on the Robin origin. I still prefer the Robin Year One annual by 1995 is my personal definitive Tim Drake. I mean, sorry, Dick Gregson Robin origin story. But this one shows that how, how much of an asshole Batman can be. I think that a good Batman always has a level of being an asshole to it. It's the opposite mirror end of how he is now in the Batman Fear State. Um, This book is good, but because it's a rehash of something we've seen time and time again, it isn't really shedding much new ground besides tying Killer Croc to Robin's origin and just one issue in. Um, I give this one 7 out of 10 drink Iron Man. Alright, next up we have Spawn numbers 323 and 324 by written by Todd McFarlane and Rory McCoven on issue 324 and art by Carlo Barberi on both these issues. So, um... 3.23 closes up the storyline that was going on in the Spawn book from a couple issues back, where Spawn is being more proactive in his uh, fight against Heaven and Hell, I guess? Like, that's the thing about Spawn. I enjoy reading the book, but the majority of the time, I have no fucking idea what's going on, and who the villains are, who he's fighting, if it's Heaven, if it's Hell, if it's humans, if it's, it's a regular-ass villain, I don't know. But, I like it. It's one of my favorite books, and I have no idea why. I can't, I can't tell anybody what's going on in this book, and I've been reading Spawn consistently since issue one eighty five. It is on three twenty three now, so let me see how many issues that is. One second, what are we gonna do? One second, three twenty three. All right, yep. Minus 185. 138 issues. I've been reading Spawn consistently for 138 issues. This is back when it was, I think, Carrie versus fucking Bush or some shit like that. It's been a long time. Um, and I can't tell you what's going on any of that fucking time. Um, but in, in, in any event, Spawn is fighting vampires, I believe, but I'm not sure if they're angelic vampires or demonic vampires, and he found a guy who was um, a hillbilly, had a had a woman locked up in, in in his apartment, kind of trying to be like Billy Kincaid from like the early issues of Spawn, and um, essentially, he kills this guy, frees the woman, but somehow, something happened in previous issues to where he shuts out the lights in this entire county. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure if he's, if he's trying to attract someone, but in any event, he does. He attracts this vampire called Dracon, some stupid vampire name, and and he does the whole "we're not so different, you and I, Spawn." That whole shtick, and he tries to get uh, Spawn to join them, or so they can fight Heaven or Hell, one of the two. And Spawn says no, and he uh, has a power now, apparently, to raise the dead. So he he raises a, a zombie army to fight. This vampire guy, his vampire arm. Um, and with the aid of the, uh, zombies, he kills all these vampires and then he, then he goes about his business. Uh, so then in the next issue, 
Former spawn Jim Downing uh, finds his old homeboy Mark Rosen, I believe his name is, and they kind of catch up. And Mark Rosen's like, basically, look, I don't really like Al. Al did get me out of my cornbread, but he forced me to be spawn. I didn't tell him to. So that's kind of some fuck shit. And uh, do you think you really trust this dude? Mark's like, I don't know, man. I feel like I can't, like, but I'm just saying. So you might want to plan if he goes astray. I'm here for you because you my boy. You're my heir. He's my boy that whole time. So, like, just keep that in mind. So then Mark, who's also now the host of Medieval Spawn somehow. I forgot how that happened. And uh, Jim Downing and Mark get attacked by people who are hunting hell spawns. And Mark uh, powers up as the McDevil spawn, and Jim Downing powers up, and they, and they fight these guys off and beat them up. And then Jim Downing has a talk with the McDevil spawn. It's kind of like a Captain Marvel type thing, uh, or Shazam, to where um, there are different people sharing the same atoms or the same shit, like it's American Man type shit. So he talks to the medieval spy and they kind of make an alliance. Then he turns back to Mark. Then that's basically where the whole issue goes. Um, the second issue was good. I like where it went. It didn't drag as much. It didn't have as many text walls as your average Todd McFarlane book does. Uh, that's one issue with I have with Spy. It's a whole bunch of reading in that motherfucking comic book walk. And for an action supernatural book, like, God damn, you're going to have a whole page with 35 fucking text boxes. Look, let somebody fucking, let's have some action. Have somebody talk. Todd had said he's trying to have his Final Universe books be more action-oriented. And they have been. So so he's working on it. But um, overall, I give these two books as a collective six and a half, a strong six out of ten. The art by Carlo Barber is great. It doesn't really fit Spawn, in my opinion. It's a little too cartoony. Um, I, I feel like if Tommy Carlin would ink the book for Carlo, it would put him more of his uh, atmosphere, supernatural flair on it. So that's that's one bit of advice I would give it. Um, but also, the Spawn books in general need a better need a better editor. I think there is an editor on those books, but I feel like he's only like a traffic cop. But um, these books need an editor to be able to condense the story to the essential parts and make it more linear and make sure that it makes sense. Because right now there are part aspects of it, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, to where the smile book doesn't necessarily make sense. That's why I gave it the score that I did. Right, let's have a score here and then we'll move on. Next up. Batman, a long Halloween special by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sell. So this is also a prestige format, square bound book. And first off, I'm surprised that this book has even come out, being that Jeff Loeb, as far as I know, is over Marvel TV. So it's weird that Marvel will let him write a book for DC, but granted that DC did take his... They took his property, Batman The Long Halloween, and made it to a DC animated film, which DC does great animated films, arguably better than their live action. So I guess he was able to do some type of deal with them for that. But essentially, I'll keep it short, short sweet. Uh, it's a great continuation of the dark, of the 
Long Halloween series. There was Long Halloween. There was Dark Victory. Now, there was another one, a prelude that came before this. But great art by Tim Sell. Tim Sell has a very unique art style. Uh, I don't think it works on everything, but it definitely works on on the book of Jeff Loeb. And this book proved my point that Jeff Loeb is a much better DC writer than a Marvel writer. But essentially, the story is. This takes place pretty soon after Dark Victory. So Harvey Dent is missing as Two-Face. His wife is gone. Uh, Batman is reeling over. He's trying to deal with having a new apprentice in Robin. And the Calendar Man is jealous that he wasn't the criminal from Long Halloween. So the Calendar Man finds a way out of jail or whatever. And he decides to kidnap uh, Glenda Dent, who has just reunited with Harvey Dent and doesn't care about the stars. So, Batman has to go on a mission in order to stop the Calendar Man. And subplot is Robin meeting Barbara Gordon, who is Jim Gordon's niece in this continuity. Um, overall, it's a good book. A nice little self-contained book. And um, I think it... I think it worked great. Um, so, I give this book 9 out of 10. Jump down. Next up, we have Firepower by Robert Kirkman and Chris Sammy. 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 It was 17 and 18. Firepower is a really good book. It's, in my opinion, a spiritual successor to Invincible in like a nice, basic superhero-ish book. He's more of a martial arts book than superhero, but um, it's a book that is consistently good. This is the ending of, I believe, the third arc of the book where... um. The main characters have to go back to the island that, where the father and armed kung fu to fight against the evil army. It's a basic top-form type story. It's done exceptionally well. Um, not much to say about it, honestly. It's just a consistently good book. That's the problem being a consistently good book. People don't really talk about too much because they're used to it. At the end of this book, though, they did say that they're going on in hiatus until April, which is amazing feat being that they uh, brought out uh, six issues worth of a original graphic novel in 18 issues in 19 months. So, no kind of book that I can think of is, has been able to have this feat in recent years. I get you back to the old school feel of comic books being a monthly book. So, um, I applaud them for that. And I, I look forward to seeing the next issue 19 in April. And I give this fucking 10 out of 10. Alright, next we have The Good Asian by Peoples. I'm sorry, names I cannot pronounce. I won't even try. Uh, maybe I'll try. Let me see. What's that? Pornsack Picotti? It's a writer? And the artist is Adam Gendry Tipuncong. And that's the artist. And Lee Language uh, is the colorist. I'm sorry that I butchered those names. So this book is essentially about it's an Asian noir set in, I believe, the 1930s. It talks about racism. It talks about uh, a lot of things in the background of a noir yarn. What I like about it is the fact that it, by the good Asians, meaning like how people say, oh, you, you're one of the good ones. Like when people who don't, who sign races, who aren't trying to sign races, they'll say, you're one of the good ones. Like, 
you're one of those good black guys. You aren't a gangbanger, or you're a good Asian. Because back in the 30s, apparently, there was a lot of Asian hate going on. That echoes in our current times, obviously. But it's not really heavy-handed, for me at least. For people who are a little racist, it might be a little heavy-handed. Um, the first half of the book was better than the second, and it is a supersized first issue. And it shows the conflict of the main character. Of Sometimes he does feel like he's against his own people. And he's favoring the Anglo-Saxons of places where he's at. Um, I don't want to tell you too much about the plot, but it's pretty good. One thing I did like about it is the word balloon shape changes like uh, a stereo's palette, which is one of my favorite graphic novels by David Mazzucchelli. Um, so if there's two Asians, if, there, if the main character is talking to another Asian, it's kind of a blocked style, uh, a block style word balloon. If he's talking to an Anglo-Saxon, it's a rounded word balloon. So it shows like how people code switch. Like, for example, um, I do make an effort to enunciate more when I talk on a podcast. And it, but, and then in the professional world, it's kind of called like your phone voice, right? But if I'm talking to somebody I grew up with, like shit changes and like it's, it's instantaneous. Um, so it, it, I like, I like that aspect of the book, but <sighs> I'll give it, this is just issue one. We'll see where it goes, but six out of 10. Okay. Next up, we have the first black label entry on today's show, and that is Batman the Imposter by Matson Tomlin, Andreas Sorrentino, and Jordi Berlair. Um, so this book is written by one of the writers of the new The Batman movie that's coming out next year, starring Robert Pattinson. Um, and I feel like this was a proposed story arc for that movie. It might even be in the same universe because the Batman here looks like a mix of Robert Pattinson and Josh Hartnett. He's a very he's a young Batman. He's 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 skinnier. Um, he's he's very very dark in regards to his temperament. Though he, this guy definitely has some issues. Um, and it's kind of told from the perspective of Leslie Tompkins, uh, who was his therapist as a child. Um, has interesting tidbits. Essentially. The main plot isn't even the, the good thing about this book. It's a simple plot. Somebody is impersonating Batman, and Batman is trying to get to the bottom of it. That's the main story. But that's like a, a background element, if you ask me. The, the key to the story are that Batman is mentally ill, and he is a sick man who needs help. So um, he breaks into Leslie Tompkins' home because he's, he's dying. And essentially, I forgot what the exact arrangement was, but he, she tells him that um, I won't turn you in because I think he's damaged and like his mask is off. So I won't turn you in if you come here either once a week or every night and talk to me so I can help you through your trauma. So he agrees to do that. And I think that subconsciously he wanted to do that. Um, so that's, that's happening. It's a very good storyline because she's like afraid for this man. She knows that he is fucked in the fucking head. And then. And trying to find this imposter, he meets up with this woman who's on the police force. And he, he falls in love with her. But he, at the same time, he uses her to get what he needs. So I like the fact that even though Bruce Wayne does kind of placate to his own feelings, he still will get that job done. Um, oh, and this is a three-issue story arc. And 
I haven't been a comic book store in so long, I have all three issues to read in one fell swoop. Um, I also like that Alfred was kind of afraid of Bruce Wayne as a kid. Like, I mean, you gotta help him. He, uh, there was a flashback that had him talking to Leslie back in the day. Like, hey, you gotta help me with this kid. He, he, I need some pills. And she was like, I'm gonna put this kid on pills. So, like, that was also a very interesting tidbit. Um, It's a very good story. Very uh, cinematic, very noir. Um, the artwork fits the book, but sometimes, and I've had this problem with Andre Sorrentino his whole career. Sometimes his lighting is so dark in his compositions that I can't tell what's going on, and I can't tell who's who. Uh, there was a scene at the end where the two Bat- where Batman and the Impostor were fighting. And I can't tell who's doing what. It was a very confusing scene. So he's a good artist, but I think he kind of renders things in such a manner that makes the storytelling difficult to comprehend at times. Um, now I'm not sure if his use of dark lighting is because of a weakness in his actual drawing skills, or because if that's a move that he feels that's what he, that's the strength of his artistic ability. In any event, I'm not really a fan of how he draws all the time, but like I said, I feel like he could be a good artist, but he just relies too much on a dark canvas and and blacks and, and black ink as opposed to actually showing what's going on. So it's not muddy, but it's just difficult to tell what's going on sometimes. Um strong story, especially the subplots and the character the characterization. That's all superb. The main story, like I said, is kind of an afterthought. Um, and then, like, when you find out who the imposter was and why they did it, it's kind of like, what? This is all this for this? Um, but oh, anyway, I give the book, uh, the three issues. Um, eight out of ten for Iron Man. It would have been a ten even though that main plot was weak because it's so well written and, and, and it's, it was smooth like butter. It wasn't a short read, although these issues are long. Um, but because of the art, like I said, he's good, but sometimes the storytelling makes it very difficult to tell what's going on. Good. Next, we have Ant number one by Eric Larson. Um, Ant is a, is a comic book character that Eric Larson bought from another creator but that creator didn't have time to um, properly execute his um, his property. And Ant is a book that Eric Larson is going to be doing in between issues of Savage Dragon, and I'm not so sure how I feel about that, because Eric Larson used to be a guy who could do um, multiple issues of a comic book, multiple comic books in a month, but this is back in the 90s, in 2020, when he has more responsibility if he's not young as fast as he used to be. I'm not sure that he can do that. Um, but Savage Dragon has to come out in a month or so. I mean, in, a, in a few months, yeah, he's been working on this Ant book as well. Uh, it might be time to hire a secondary artist to draw Ant after his first art. Of course, he's doing the artwork in this. He has a strong, loyal fan base, so he will get them to buy the book. If he's drawing it, they're going to buy it. I do like that he changed up his art style some. It's a little more gritty, and it it could be because he was rushing, but it worked in this book. The storyline is pretty basic superheroics. He did say in the back of the book that he had to try to 
consolidate the different various starts and stops of this character. So I can't really tell you much about the story besides um, she's not sure. Well, the reader isn't sure if this is really happening or if this is in the lead character's diary. It's kind of weird in that aspect. But in any event, uh, 6 out of 10 Drunk Iron Man. Next up, we have Deathstroke Incorporated 23 by Joshua Williamson, Howard Porter, and Hi-Fi FX. Um, Deathstroke has been one of my favorite characters the past 10 years or so. Since probably the New 52 when they gave him his own book again after his 80s and 90s series. I think it's the 90s series. In any event, um, the first issue, essentially the story of Deathstroke Incorporated is him trying to be a hero. I wouldn't know why yet. And he's uh, been hired by a governmental agency to tackle things that they want him to tackle with the aid of Black Canary kind of being his liaison and the person who keeps him in check. It was a rotating list of other heroes. Um, the thing is, and the good part about this book is the intrigue and the mystery. But we don't know anything about this court, this, this uh, governmental agency that's hiring him if they're on the up and up. It looks like, it looks like they might not be, as Black Widow is finding out. Uh, the bad thing is, oh, and also I love how how the art. People say say that he draws googly eyes since his hand was broken. Uh, probably at this point, twelve years ago, the art style, his art style has changed, is more exaggerated than cartoony, but I love it. Uh, the crazy thing is, this is written by the same guy who writes Robin, and I love this guy's writing on Robin, but on Deathstroke Incorporated, it I find myself skimming around. It's not smooth like that. Um, and I do like the fact that every issue is standalone, uh, with these subplots in the background, but issues two and three were not that cool to me. Issue two, with Deathstroke Incorporated in space, fighting Cyborg Superman, and issue three was Deathstroke going to a fantasy world created by Cheetah, uh, to stop her, um, and I just wasn't interested, honestly, but I saw I'd give it five out of ten drunk Iron Man's. Next, Post Americana issue seven of seven by Steve Scroach, Scroach, Scroachy, Skies. I can't pronounce the last name either. And also by Dave Stewart in Phonographics. So this is the uh, last, the conclusion of the storyline. If you haven't read it, it's about um, basically a, a Mad Max type story of a post-apocalyptic storyline. Uh, and it has characters who you can identify with and they're interesting. It has a female lead who is basically a cyborg because he has a lot of uh, cybernetic body parts after all of the ravages of this savage land that they live in now and after something very crazy happened in America. It's the wrap-up of the storyline, essentially, because I'm running long here. I liked it. I'm a big Steve Strokes fan. I give it 7 out of 10 Next, we have Moon Knight numbers four, five, and six. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, four, five, and six. Um, by Adam McKay, not Adam McKay, Judd McKay. Uh, the artist's last name is Capuchulio, and Matthew Rosenberg. So, um, I'm a Moon Knight fan. Moon Knight is one of my favorite superheroes. Uh, his uh. His books are hit or miss a lot, but this one hits. Um, it takes the best elements of all of the, like the Charlie Houston book did in 2007, where it took the best of Moon Knight and condensed it 
to a palatable storyline up until that point. This one does the same thing. It focuses on the good parts of the previous iterations of the character we've had the past couple of years, and it makes a cohesive story and tell you about the loss and the, and the trauma that Moon Knight has. I like the fact that Moon Knight is in therapy, but he also tries to help people himself. I like the fact that he has friends that are betraying him. He has old friends coming to the fold. The artwork, at times, is a little bit too cartoony. Because Marvel has an issue of late to where they don't hire the best artists. This guy is, or gal is decent. But I, I, I think that the, his artwork doesn't always match the dark tones of the story. Um, but I like the fact that, and I'm not a horror fan, besides no swan, uh, but I like that this book is leaning into the horror elements of Moonlight, which the Charlie Houston run kind of ignored. Um, like taking for a fact that he's fighting vampires and werewolves and other creatures that go bump in the night because he is a protector of the nighttime travelers. So in a Marvel universe, people who travel nighttime are going to have issues with vampires and werewolves and things like that. Uh, and like the Charlie Houston run, or uh, the Doug Munchrons, some of that. We also be the protector of people who are like cab drivers, ladies of the evening, things like that. Um, so I think their issues are, are good. A solid book. Uh, probably one of my books of the year. I'm giving uh, nine, 9 out of 10 for Pioneer. Next up, this thing is going long. I might break this into two issues. We'll see. All right, now we got a couple of the uh, oversized black back, uh, DC comic black label books. I like the graphic album size books. Um, so we have Catwoman Lonely City issues one and two. Um, so this book is focused on Catwoman. I'm, I'm not a Catwoman guy, but I like the, the black label format and I like Cliff's chain. Um, this book is basically, in my opinion, like a Dark Knight Returns for Catwoman. She was in jail for seven years after a big villain did some crazy shit. Now she's getting out and she's getting her, uh, the, the game back together for one last heist. And her opponent is Two-Face, who is the mayor of Gotham City, who's up for renewal uh, against Barbara Gordon, who's in a wheelchair. Um, so they're doing that element of it. So it takes a lot of elements from the past. It's kind of, in my opinion, it's kind of like, uh, the Batman Arkham. Nah, nah. Uh, the White Knight series. So it's a good uh, issue. Well, Black Label does the best. They aren't tied to continuity, so a, a creator can just create his perfect Batman, his or her perfect Batman story by worrying about continuity. That's exactly what this is. The art is on point. I like all of the world building he does with the fashion that's in this world, because their fashion is um, bouncing off what's happening in the superhero community. So, like, Gucci would have a deal with, like, say, Guy Gardner to have, a, like, a line of fucking shit come out. So, it, it, that shit happens suddenly in the background. I like her, her world building. I like that her, her, her team don't kill a croc. I like that show that she's kind of a good guy because she loves Batman. She wanted to be with him, help him out. At the same time, she's a, she's a thief and she hates Two-Face. So, Honestly, I don't have much problem with, with these issues. Uh, the pacing was a little rough at times. It wasn't always smooth like butter. But I would still give these two issues 10 out of 10 for Iron Man. Boom. All right, two more. And we out this bitch. Uh, 
actually, I mean, Brian Azzarello, uh, Addison Malieve, and Matt Houseworth give us Suicide Squad, colon, Get Joker, issue two of three. Um, I love the art by Addison Malieve. Uh, I like the format because, again, it's black label. Um, Brian Azzarello's writing is always hit or miss. And the first issue was hit. And this issue is miss. Granted, it's been a while since I read the first issue, so I might have been a little bit taken aback as to what was going on. But uh, this issue, in my opinion, be andered. And I found myself skimming a lot. If I'm skimming, that means it's not smooth like butter. And that is a problem for me. Uh, it's, it, this one geared into the bad Azzarello. Because to me, Azarello is more bad than good. He was good on Wonder Woman New 52. And he was good on the Thomas Wayne Batman from Flashpoint. That's really it of what I read of his of his work. Um, Adam Lee killed it with his art style as as usual. But I'm gonna give this six drunk Iron Man. I was gonna give it five and a half. But I said I don't, I don't be that harsh on it because it's, it's an adult thing book. Um, the artwork is amazing. The format is amazing, but the writing and the pacing just also six Last book I got here is Batman: One Dark Knight, also a black label book by written and drawn by Jack. Um, now, uh, Andreas Sorrentino kind of does what Jack does, but Jack has perfected it. Andreas Sorrentino, although he's been around for decade now. He hasn't perfected as good as Jack. I don't want to call him the poor man's Jack, but people might say that he's a poor man's Jack. So essentially, this book is like a a video game. So we gotta chase somebody or someone's chasing you. It's like one of those levels in the video game. So it's a very basic premise and it's all about atmosphere and the chase and the artwork. And which I'm not mad at it. Jack isn't necessarily a writer by trade. He's more known for his artwork. Kind of like a, a graffiti style that Works very well with this book. Essentially, there's a villain called EMP. And he has the power to do EMPs, basically. He's being transferred from Arkham Asylum to Blackgate Prison, which are on opposite sides of Gotham City. Uh, because there's a new initiative that's getting um, these violent criminals out of Arkham and putting them in jail, jail, because fuck them, right? Um, so what happens is um, some thugs. Break or they stop the whole transfer, and EMP gets out, and then EMP does an EMP and knocks out all the power in the city, so that there's no so Batman can't talk to Alfred, he can't drive his car for some reason. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe it's an electric car. I think the EMP took out cars too, but I'm not a science person. Uh, so essentially, Batman's trying to get this guy, get this villain to uh, Blackgate Prison without other people stopping him. Uh, and he's also trying to capture this guy at the same time because he's running from him. So it's basically a, a chase book. And this is issue one of three. Uh, I do feel like, honestly speaking, having three issues of this might be a little bit much. It could have been 148 paid book in my opinion. But we'll see how it goes. Um, the new villain is pretty cool. Um, the artwork is amazing Jack. Artwork, so I'm not mad at that. He knows that he's primarily a artist, not a writer. So the writing is pretty sparse, which makes it smooth like butter. So I'm not mad at that. Because sometimes when a, a writer um, 
I'm assuming when a, when an artist starts to write, they tend to overwrite. Uh, like say uh, Patrick Gleason when, on his Robin Run, but this uh, Jack, I, I don't think this is the first thing that he's written. But Jack knows it. He's just basically controlling his his pacing, his narrative with the writing. But the showcase here is the art. Um, so this book did the whole Andreas Sorrentino atmosphere, dark art, graffiti style to perfection. Um, I was going to come into this not giving this book that high of a score. Now that I'm talking about it and comparing it with the Batman and Pops artwork, it actually going up a few notches. I, I was going to give it a six, but now I'm going to give it an eight. If this would have been, if these three issues would have been like a one shot, like Batman, Dark Knight, The Golden Child, it probably would have been a 10 out of 10. But because he's stretching his story out, then I'm imagining I haven't read the next two issues yet. But it looks like it might be, I don't see how much of a story we have here. So for that reason, I give it a drink. Eight out of ten drink Iron Man's. All right, so um, this episode went longer than I was anticipating, but uh, it was it was pretty fun. Um, if I do this again, I'll probably split it up if I have that many books to talk about. But um, if you guys liked it, uh, although you you're never vocal as as we know, uh, let me know if you want me to keep doing things like this on the podcast network. Um, because if you like it, especially if, if this gets gets streamed, I'll definitely do it again. I'm still going to do the um, the issue, I mean, the episode about the graphic novels that I've read in the last couple of months, too. That's, that's going to be coming up pretty soon. We'll see when. I do tend to keep things in the tuck until I need it. So this episode, I'm, I'm recording this, honestly, uh, on New Year's Eve. This might not come out in fucking March. Oh, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's just how I do.